Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This is my This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the one and only Maya Culpa podcast, now on the Mighty Midas Touch Network. So look for all future episodes of our show behind the blue banner, and we're glad you're here. But now for the news. Citizen Trump has been losing bigly this week, and we can only hope that this is just the beginning of a long and stupendous losing streak that will end with the former president being sentenced to permanent home confinement. So to begin with, on Tuesday, Nevada held their presidential primary and Trump's name wasn't even on the ballot. The winner in that contest was literally none of these candidates. Nikki Haley, whose name was on the ballot, also lost to none of these candidates by a two-to-one margin. I mean, that's just how excited Nevada voters are about their Republican candidates. Now, to be fair, the Nevada primaries have been clusterfuck at best. Two separate events on two separate days. And a scant 12% turnout is just not a good look. For some stupid, the coup plotter-in-chief supporters have arranged for Nevada's 26 delegates to turn up to caucus for Trump on Thursday. But it's not a great sign when confused voters would rather choose none of the above than simply writing your name. Now, I'm not making fun of this shit, I'm just saying. The ambush, I mean impeachment, of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas was all but in the bag Tuesday. But the vote went south and ended with a spectacular fail. And MAGA fucking Mike Johnson went down with it. Johnson, chairman of the House and Trump's latest puppet, fooled himself. The fucking idiot fooled himself into believing that the impeachment was a slam dunk. But he was off by one vote. There were four Republican defectors as expected. However, the one vote that actually counted, well, that was a surprise. Al Green, a Democrat from Texas, shocked House members when he entered the chamber in a wheelchair, wearing hospital scrubs and wingtips. The 76-year-old came from the emergency room. I mean, you believe this? He came from the emergency room where he was about to have abdominal surgery. 
I mean, not since John McCain's sole vote to save Obamacare have we seen that sort of drama on the Senate floor. In an unexpected plot twist for Republicans who were sure that they had already won, Green, rolling up in his wheelchair, was like, holy shit, what's happening? Republicans started to yell incoherently when Green cast his vote, prompting Democrats to yell back, order. It's the sort of scene I'm sure someone will try to recreate in a movie because it's that fucking crazy. Now, rumor has it that minority leader Hakeem Jeffries may have known something about the surprise attack and perhaps even orchestrated it. But kudos to Representative Green for standing up and being counted, especially, especially when Republicans had counted him out. House Republicans ultimately failed to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas with the final tally at 216 to 214. And I'd like to personally thank Representative Green and wish him a speedy recovery. Good for you, brother. Good for you. Meanwhile, a bipartisan effort in the Senate to enact border reform and send badly needed aid to Ukraine and Israel also went down in flames after Republicans killed the package. Then, Republicans tried to quickly pivot and produce a bill that would just fund Israel. But that too went up in smoke. I mean, what are these idiots doing on the taxpayer's dime? After months of good faith negotiations between the White House and a bipartisan group of senators, Republicans would rather throw some of their own under the bus than get a fucking thing done. They say they want border reform until Trump pulls the plug on it. And why? Well, because it would be too much of a win for Biden. I mean, who cares about the American people? It's an election year when Trump says, fuck it, burn it all down. And that is exactly what Republicans will do. Burn it all down. And let's hope it comes back to haunt them come November. And file under everything Trump touches turning to shit. Ronna Romney McDaniel, well, she's out as chair of the RNC and so is the chief of staff Mike Reed. Trump, trying to run the RNC like an episode of The Apprentice, made some comments during an interview to the effect of changes will be made and poof, changes were made just 48 hours after the interview aired. Later, in a post on Truth Social that followed a meeting with McDaniel, Trump wrote, and I quote, Rana is still head of the RNC and I'll be making a decision the day after the South Carolina primary as to who my recommendations for RNC growth will be. Now, according to Politico, one of Trump's issues with the committee was its decision to host primary debates because he really does not want to debate. So I guess no one else should. Plus, he's bled them dry. You hear me? He's bled them dry like he does everything. They ended the year of 2023 with just 8 million in the bank, a pittance compared to the Democratic National Committee. And then, then there's Trump's ongoing legal fees. I mean, maybe the RNC should do like Trump and just file for bankruptcy and start over again. 
Now, the Supreme Court is set to hear the arguments on Thursday to decide if Trump is or is not eligible to be on the ballot based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which states that insurrectionists cannot run for office. With this ruling, the fate of American democracy is in the hands of a deeply compromised Supreme Court. Six of the nine justices are conservative and lean far, far to the right. Three of the justices are Trump appointees who have been warned publicly that they owe Trump for their appointments. Then there is dear old Justice Thomas, husband of insurrectionist Jeannie Thomas, who has refused to recuse himself just because he can. And while it may be Chief Justice Robert Serkis, the monkeys are clearly out of his control. So let's all cross our fingers that this doesn't go the way of Bush v. Gore. But no matter how the court votes, it will be a telling moment for the court and for the country. And now for the main event. It's a great honor to host our next guest. You may know Elliot Williams as a legal analyst on CNN and as a host on Sirius XM's nonpartisan talk radio network. But Williams has worked at the highest levels of government and was counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee. He has served in both Democratic and Republican-led administrations and has also been a career federal prosecutor. His impressive list of accomplishments in the legal field is too long to list here, but his experience working in all three branches of government makes him an expert on our current political and cultural situation. Williams is here today to break down Trump's many legal entanglements, so let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so welcome to the show, Elliot. Great to have you on. It's been a huge week. I mean, it's a huge news week. So let's just jump right into it. Yesterday, the D.C. appellate court ruled that Trump is not immune from prosecution. Do me a favor. Tell my listeners what you think of the opinion. Is it, as some folks are calling it, a historic ruling that will be studied in law schools for years or something else? I'd say uh, in response to the opinion, duh, <laughs> yeah. because it's sort of it is it is perhaps the least surprising legal outcome we've seen in a long time. And they were quite meticulous in laying out the various arguments for why a former president, not even Donald Trump, but just a former president would not be absolutely immune for his conduct in office. And what they, you know, and I, and I do agree with the folks who said it was sort of written for history and for the ages because of the fact that they, one, number one, it was unanimous, not just they all agreed mm -hmm. to it, but they didn't even sign it with their names. It was the three judges speaking in one voice, um, but also walked through each of the various arguments that he'd made um, so that they have they have many different angles for deciding as they did. And they were sort of saying, hey, Supreme Court, are you listening? We're giving you basically the template for how to rule on this. Do what you want. I'm just curious, though, because the lawyers that Trump has on this on this case, you're going to go to the Supreme Court of the United States and ask them to overturn a decision that does not grant an individual, a president, complete and total immunity from any crime that they commit at any point in time. Because 
Listen, I, I, I don't want to shock my listeners or you for that matter, but Donald Trump is not the president of the United States. He's a former president, and the crimes that he's being charged with are not crimes that took place while he was in the White House acting as president of the United States, let's say for national security. These are crimes that he committed for his own benefit when he wasn't president. So how could they possibly think that this is a, vi that this is a viable argument whatsoever? It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So I think the, well, let's just be nice for just a second. I'm a nice, but as, as lawyers, you know, you view the evidence in the light most favorable to the person arguing and just for the purposes of, of arguing today. The, the, the maybe strongest argument they had, and this is a stretch, Michael, I, I want to be clear, I'm just, I'm just putting this out there, was, well, you want to not chill future presidents in their actions. You want, um, if you don't immunize presidents for their conduct, then in the future, folks will be afraid to act if they're in the presidency. That the court just shot that argument down, saying that, well, no, you actually want to chill or deter presidents from engaging in misconduct. You want presidents to not break the law. So they sort of shot that argument down. There's really no great argument here uh, that the Trump team had. Um, and they used the powerful and quite pointed language about this is what, what was the wording they said? You know, uh, President Trump has become citizen Trump. And the opinion read almost like a love letter to the rule of law, to the idea that nobody technically is above the law, um, even for, former or current presidents, you know, and they even make the point that um, even some official acts of the president might be subject to uh, being, you know, to prosecution, not just unofficial acts. Right, but, and they brought up at one point in time, Barack Obama, when he gave the thumbs up for taking out Osama bin Laden. So he said, why is he not being prosecuted? I don't think that they understand the difference between yeah. something which is done for the national security. Do I need to remind the Republicans? Do I need to remind Trump and his attorneys that Osama bin Laden was responsible for 9-11? That he was responsible for putting, you know, a hit on you know, Americans. And so how could you compare and contrast what Trump is saying to the actions of a president that's doing it on behalf of national security? I just don't know how yeah. you legitimately argue this or expect a writ of certiorari to be granted when yeah. the premise behind it is so fundamentally fucked up and flawed. So let and me, that's a legal term of know, art, my well, friend. Fucked up and flawed. No. So let me let me. Here's how you do it, and here's how they do it. And look, you worked for him. You've probably seen this up close. And I think the the former president is masterful at taking an argument that has a shred of legal legitimacy to it, extending it to its extreme, and saying, "Come on, come on, come on, everybody! Look, Dodd, don't you don't you just see how it goes?" Now, the shred of legal legitimacy was. Um, this goes back to Judge Florence Pan's argument at the hearing where she said, what stops a president from using a drone to call in a strike on a political opponent? Um, 
are you saying that even if a president did that, he'd be seen as immune? And then uh, I think it was John Laurel. I don't remember who the attorney was. Well, well, I don't know. Yeah. And then just well, well, sorry, sour. Oh, no, it's, it's sour, right? Yeah, but he sort of didn't really have a great answer for it. I think it was the use of the word drone, which people heard and the president's supporters heard and said, well, oh my God, Barack Obama called in drone strikes. Barack Obama did engage in all kinds of, of misconduct on the foreign policy. It's, it's simply not accurate. That, that was national security conduct, not private, personal or political conduct. Now, you can confuse people very easily by just throwing something out there, throwing some chum in the water, and people who are inclined to believe you will latch onto it. But there's there's such apples and oranges examples. And what this case was about was, can a president, current or former, use the official tools of the presidency to engage in criminal misconduct? That's totally different than foreign policy or national defense or foreign affairs or anything. But then they can, but then Judge Penn, I think, continued and said, you know what, moved it to a different question. Can a president call on SEAL Team 6 to incarcerate or kill his critics? And they didn't have an answer for that one either. They don't. You know, that the president should have total immunity, total executive immunity. And I could never figure out, no matter, and I've asked this of so many friends of mine who are Republican, can you name a scenario where a president of the United States should have the ability to call on SEAL Team 6 to go after a, to go, to go after a critic or a political opponent? And of course, nobody can give. There's no argument. There's, there's no, no answer. answer. There's no. There's, you know, it then brings me to the next point, which I had said to them. Well, let's assume hypothetically that the Supreme Court accepts this notion that a president should have total, total immunity from anything that they do, taxes, they grabbing won't. them by the pussy. What makes no difference? Whatever <laughs> it is, that they should have total uh-huh. immunity. Well, doesn't that apply to Joe Biden as well? So then if, in fact, that, they, that this is their theory and it gets granted by the Supreme Court, why then should Joe Biden not turn around, call on SEAL Team 6 to go to Mar-a-Lago and drown the fat cow? And, and he's allowed to do it with impunity. And I'm not saying that it should be done. I'm just I'm making a joke out of the whole thing because, you know, the expression, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. This is not only for Donald Trump. Right now, shocker, Joe Biden is president of the United States. So if you give him total immunity from anything, regardless of how crazy the illegality is, why should Joe Biden then not take it? And why should he not run with it? I, you know, that's that's when they are. Well, number one, I'm not going to endorse the drowning of any one uh, a, a candidate or. Uh, I'm or, not or, endorsing uh, it either. Though, I, as I said, I, I'm, 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 I'm trying to be, you know, trying to make it as no, stupid gotcha, as gotcha. possible. As stupid as possible. No. So um, because you, know, you do know that Trump Donald tried to make swim, the, right? I, I did not know yeah. that. I, I understand he's, he's quite a tennis player. Um, I did not know that. Oh, he he's not play. a tennis player. He's a golfer. Um, no, oh, no, no, no. He's, he's a golfer. No, 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 no. Everybody knows he's a golfer. But no, but, he's you know, not. A he's tennis not a pro. Tennis I had player. one. Said no, he was but a he also he also tennis. can't swim. He doesn't want to get his hair wet.
Uh, all right, fair enough. I mean, you know, smiling is intimidating to many, many people. We'll give them that. But no, fair enough. Fair enough. So, you know, they tried to make the argument that, well, in the future, um, the floodgates will be opened up and future presidents will be subjected to being targeted for their actions. And the court actually shoots that argument down because the court says, no, you know, in our country, we have plenty of checks on people's behavior. So, for instance, this to this idea that now every president's going to be charged with crimes and every president's going to be impeached. Well, no, in order to be charged with a crime, you got to go to a grand jury, have a judge look at the charges be tried in, in an open court and then have a jury agree unanimously to your verdict. This idea that now um, the, the floodgates would be opened against presidency of the United States is just silly and nonsense. And then, uh, you know, your, your specific point about Joe Biden, um, you know, same thing. Like you said, good for the goose is good for the gander. This is not just they ought to start seeing this as not just protection for Donald Trump, but is this really the direction you wish to go down for the future of the presidency, which will, I think it's safe to say, also involve Democratic presidents in the future in divided governments. And I just think they haven't thought through the argument or have and are just trying to make the argument today just for the protection of a foreign president. You know what also proves that point? 44 presidents before That's- Donald Trump were not indicted, incarcerated by a political opponent when there was a transfer of power. Yeah, I'll take that a step further. Uh, This came up or comes up in the concept of impeachment where everybody says, oh, now impeachment's going to be so much more partisan and political. And I use the examples of George W. Bush and Barack Obama, both of whom faced divided government and really fierce opposition from the other party. Neither of them faced serious impeachment pushes. And this idea that now, because Donald Trump was impeached, now every Democrat's going to be impeached. No, when people engage in misconduct or high crimes and misdemeanors, or at least are accused of, of, of such conduct, yeah, they could be impeached. But this idea that now we're going to prosecute every president, we're going to impeach every, every time we have divided government. Ever look back at your butt and think you deserve better? If not, well, you should. And this year, introduce yourself and your behind to the best with Tommy John's super soft underwear, loungewear, and pajamas. Tommy John's breathable, lightweight, and moisture-wicking fabrics are designed to make you feel that much more comfortable so you could do everything better. Their tri-blend and modal fabrics stretch four times, four times more than competing brands. And Tommy John moves 16 different ways to give you plenty of breathing room. Guys are nuts about Tommy John's comfort innovations, like a supportive hammock pouch and easy access horizontal quick draw fly. So it's no surprise Tommy John sold over, get a load of this, 20 million pairs of their lint-free, fuzz-free underwear, all featuring their famous no-wedgie guarantee. With thousands of five-star reviews, Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics like me. So look, this New Year's, I made myself a resolution. And I call it my balls-to-the-wall commitment to comfort by cushioning my cojones. And I'll do it only in my Tommy John underwear. And here's why you should do it too. If you're tired of sweaty, chafing, wedgie-prone underwear... Make the switch to Tommy John. Your family jewels and everything else will thank you. Wearing Tommy John makes you feel fresher, cooler, stylish, and more comfortable than other brands of underwear. So like me, if you do, you will become a fanatic of Tommy John too. 
Plus, your most valuable assets are always protected with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. So go right now and shop Tommy John and get 20% off your first order right now at TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. That's save 20% for a limited time at TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. See site for details. Staying with the Supreme Court with this decision. Yeah. It appears to me, at least, that the Supreme Court, the majority of them, want to manipulate every aspect of American life, from abortion to Mm. the EPA to whatever. Do you think that this immunity case will prove too enticing for them to pass up? That's a great question, and I just don't know the answer to that. Because I'm, and I, and I mean that, Michael, because I'm of two different minds on this point. Number one, we started talking about the strength of the lower court decision that just came up, and it was written well. It's unanimous. It's not going to be overturned in all likelihood by the full court of appeals, right? Um, which is a you know, when you look at the criteria for what it takes for the Supreme Court to take a case on, is there a split? Is there a divide across the country and the law? Do we need to resolve something? So on on the one hand, factors seem to suggest that the court ought not take it because they've got a pretty clear, well-written decision from three really smart judges. On the other hand, they could want to say that, you know, this is such an important issue dealing with the future of America and how we read our constitution that we have to be the one, even if we just rubber stamp the opinion that came before, we have to just, uh, we have to be the ones to talk, not outsource this to two lower court judges. I don't know if it'll be too enticing. I mean, look, they are, and starting with Bush versus Gore, I think, um, facing a bit of a crisis in public confidence about the, the court's ability to stay neutral or, or apolitical. And I think the court has been dealing with ethical issues for the last several years. There's the role of Justice Thomas and and all the Michigas surrounding him. So the question is, do they want to be seen as thumbing the scale or weighing in on a political issue? And I'm sure uh, Chief Justice Roberts is, is is weighing that that very dis- decision very carefully. I, you know, I just don't know the answer to this one because I could see it going either way. But if it's just a question of on the facts, on the paper, on the law, yeah, they got a great opinion. They don't even need to, to take it. I don't think that they could write a better opinion than what was written by this D.C. Court of Appeals. I mean, I really, I, yeah, I really don't. It was pretty, what is it, like 52 pages long? But it's so well thought out and it's so well stated. I'm not even sure that there's truly a constitutional issue here for the Supreme Court to even look at. I mean, this is like making up some sort of nonsense and asking the Supreme Court to weigh in on it simply because you're Donald Trump. Who the fuck cares? Yeah. Who cares who you I are? I don't know. You know, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if they if they vote it down and give any of the judges who are dissenting, any of the justices who wanted to take it up an opportunity to write a scathing dissent saying why they should... I don't know if they just make it go away, Um, but you're right. It's, you know, and even I'll even push a step further. We'll probably by the time you and I are done talking today, talk about Colorado and the 14th Amendment going to the Supreme Court. Um, Even that, I think, is a closer call than this. There's just 
Yeah, they're just they're just literally whether you say this was private conduct as opposed to official conduct or whether you say the Constitution did not intend to exempt presidents. There's just no ambiguity to me uh, in this case. Um, And, you know, if they if the court wants to issue a one sentence decision that says that and say, you know, we agree with everything that came before or they us, just deny they or do, they just deny the writ of certiorari just deny it. i mean that's what or that's what i it, think yeah. would be the smartest move for them to make at this point and just listen there's not a issue a tribal issue here for the supreme court to take yeah. up and you're right if there are dissenters that want to who do you think would be a dissenter in this case oh gosh i don't know i don't know i mean it, you know it's Thomas is the most strident of the, and, and Alito to an extent uh, when it comes to sort of the contrarian voice on the court increasingly. But I, who knows where they go? I mean, it's who do you knows? know that it's, they would be? Yeah, I, they're I, actually going against themselves if they would overturn this case. And I say that again, not because it's Michael Cohen saying it. I am just using Donald Trump's own words. He wants to rewrite the Constitution on day number one. And said it. He that's said not it. my words, that's Donald's words. And yeah, in so yeah. doing, another thing he said he wants to do is he wants to destroy America's tripartite system of government. No more judiciary. No more, no more legislative branch. All power conferred upon the executive branch to the chief executive, meaning himself, making him, in fact, the de facto king. So, or put another way, put another way. So, yeah. um, put another yeah, way. Wait, wait. Let me just finish Sorry. this point. So, if that happens, there is no more judiciary. There is no more Supreme Court. And in fact, there are members of the Supreme Court that he may have, you know, some bad feelings towards. Well. Knock, knock, knock. Who is it? Seal Team 6, motherfucker. Open up, right? I mean, it could happen to anyone. That's the point. So what I would say, and to your point about consolidating power in the executive branch and Trump's visions and so on, I'd even go further and say this criticizing his own appointees to the court is itself pretty toxic. He's gone after... Kavanaugh mm-hmm. and Coney Barrett and Gorsuch when they have not ruled the way that he sort of expected them to, or Alina Haba made a reference, his yep. attorney Alina Haba made, made a reference to, you know, Brett Kavanaugh is going to do the right thing here, Trump. And, and essentially, essentially, you know, we wash our back, you, you know, I, I wash your back, you, you wash mine. And, you know, that's really bad. Think about, let's go back to 2010 when Obama didn't even name check a particular justice or anybody. He merely, in a speech to Congress, challenged an opinion of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled that this, 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 and this. And Alito very famously said, not true. Mouth the words, not true. And it was a this maelstrom of how dare Barack Obama say a word about the Supreme Court. He sort of backed down from it and so on. Um, but you're talking about something different here and, and another level of taking on the other branches of government in a way that, that hasn't been seen But there won't be other in, branches in of government home. if Donald gets his way. That's the point. You think guys like 
Jared yeah. Moskowitz is safe. Dan Goldman, Jamie Raskin. You think that Nancy Pelosi is safe? No. Like I said before, knock, knock. Who is it? <laughs> SEAL Team 6, motherfucker. Right? You're going to Gitmo. No, and, hey, you're getting a and, vacation. And, and it's not a... It's not out of the no. question, and I think partly because of this idea that Trump and his supporters feel that, quote unquote, the Biden administration has prosecuted the former president. So there's so many flaws in that argument. Number one, of the various cases being brought against the former president, uh, only two of them are federal cases to begin with, right. even brought by federal cases. You have, you have New York, you have, uh, pardon me, you have D.C. And no, you you, have no, no, right, Marla. but you have, right. the, you have Georgia right. and you have New York, are both state right. cases. Okay, those are state cases. Number two, these are, a number of them are civil suits, one brought by Attorney General, one brought by E. Jean Carroll, but they're all lumped together in, in the eyes of Trump supporters as the Biden administration coming after the former president. So that's point one, this idea that they, you know, um, two, the idea that the Biden administration has abandoned all process and just gone after the former president and is targeting its number one rival uh, for the presidency. Again, to your point a little bit earlier, Michael, presidents since time immemorial have run against their opponents and not been prosecuted by them. It's not that Joe Biden has opened the floodgates of prosecuting his rival. The problem is that his rival allegedly engaged in some serious misconduct and is being charged for it. And then finally, this idea that you can just bring criminal charges against somebody is nonsense. Criminal cards, and I said this a little bit earlier uh, in our conversation, have to, have to go to a grand jury. A judge often has to sign off from them. There's all kinds of opportunities you have to challenge charges that are brought against you. And then, of course, if, if you make it there, you go in front of a jury and then a ju jury decides your guilt. Yeah. You know why Donald is playing this thing about the Biden administration weaponizing the Justice Department against him? Well, it works. But, People believe right. it. But you know why? Because Donald Trump knows deep down inside that he's a criminal. And he believes that everybody is a criminal, just like him. Think of my, hmm. my second book, Revenge, how Donald Trump weaponized the United States Department of Justice against his critics. That's my statement a year before Donald Trump came out with the exact same line. He knows what he was doing. He knows what he did to me. He made me to the first political prisoner ever held by this country by its own country, in order to prevent somebody from exercising their First Amendment constitutional rights. He knows exactly what he did. And because he is a criminal mind, he thinks everybody has the criminal mind. So therefore, since he did it, he thinks that Joe Biden and everybody else will do it. That's, that's a real sociopath. I, well, or I would say maybe he is the most base form of humanity uh, as it exists, which is that we, when left to our own devices, revert to a state of nature where we are actually a vicious species that goes after and uh, that goes after our opponents. Right. Maybe maybe he's on to something. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just I'm trying to pop some apologize here. But. <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe. maybe he's on. Maybe he's right. And 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 all of this, these exercises in fairness and law and 
decorum and humanity that we've spent 248 years going down the road. Maybe it's all been one big joke and, and Donald Trump's right. I, I, I don't know. There's been 46 know, presidents I, of the United States, the only one yep. who's talking about rewriting the Constitution, creating an autocracy from our democracy is only Donald Trump. I mean, there's nobody. Well, Andrew's in fairness, Andrews, Johnson, and Jackson uh, were also pretty aggressive in, in, in reshaping, trying to reshape. But your point's well taken that uh, FDR or Truman or Kennedy or Reagan, he is. No, not. that is I for sure. Is so look, assuming that the Supreme Court does not take up the case, as you and I believe, Jack Smith's yeah. insurrection case can then proceed in Judge Tanya Chutkin's court, which I believe is Correct. supposed to start on March 4th. When do you see that trial beginning? Do you think it'll go March 4th? And more importantly, will the no, trial no, no, no. end before the election? I think it can. It can. It definitely uh, right now. So you and I are talking uh, on February 7th. Right now, uh, it, there's no way it starts March 4th because this, the case is paused while the appeal is pending. Right. So even if the Supreme Court... Just, you know, just, okay, no th thanks, but no thanks. You know, that probably happens later this month. There's still a few months of pretrial proceedings that have to go on. Um, but you could see a trial starting by the summer and wrapping by the fall well in advance of election day. Um, but, but March 4th is not happening. There's no chance of that. Even, even under the quickest of timelines, just because of the pause they're, they already have right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, my hope was that it would, that they would be able to yeah. get this case um, going. Because it's, it's not as if they didn't have knowledge of the case you know, going forward. They just did their general delay, delay, delay tactics and so on. My hope yeah. was that it would go before the Alvin Bray case, which I'm supposed to be you know, um, a witness to. Truth be told, I really don't want to be a witness again. I was for the New York Attorney General, mm. uh, very, you know— um, it was it's not a great experience, you know, uh, what regard oh, to, you know, two imagine. and a half days on the stand. Um, you know, it's not a it's not a it's not a fun experience at all. Uh, and this one, I expect, will be even worse. I mean, there was Alina Haba, you know, showboating and trying to create, you know, uh, a new story for herself. You know, here, at least you have Todd yeah. Blanche and uh, Neshelis, you know, who are at least more skilled attorneys but my hope is right. that in that case, Judge Mershon, you know, puts an end to the bullshit that went on, you know, even with the, you know, accusations and the and the attacks and the complete ignoring of legitimate facts and then only nitpicking a line out of a 50 page document and then trying to expand on just listen, that's the job of the defense attorney. But. You don't have the right to make shit up. And that's my hope was that it would it would be able to proceed forward on March fourth. Uh, yeah, and you know something you know as an attorney that proceed any proceeding is only as good as the control the judge has right. over it, and allowing some of the nonsense to get in and for parties to act up. You know, the judge really has to nip that, that kind of stuff in the bud. Now, you've seen in federal court, um, certainly in the E. Jean Carroll case, where uh, Judge Lewis Kaplan had a yep. far more aggressive, heavier hand. And and well, there were cameras there and federal court tends to be a little more a little, a little right. stuffier. However, 
Um, just just the reports coming out of the courtroom were clear that the judge just wasn't having it. And it, to your point, it, it, it's really because important. they weren't we part of the, yeah, they weren't part of the issues. That's the whole thing. He can't argue something that's not within the four corners of the case. It was already determined yeah. that he sexually assaulted her. You can't go back and retry something that has already been decided. And neither Trump Agreed. nor Haba, you know, or you know, any of the any of the others that were there, they refused to acknowledge it. And Judge and Judge Kaplan was just not having that shit. Not one, not one second of and, it. And you know, again, this gets back to my maybe Donald Trump is just, has just got it all right and all figured out because we we have all these rules that we've been following for a long time. One being, you gotta obey the rules of court. You have to only uh, provide evidence that is relevant. And as lawyers who are listening know, relevant evidence is evidence that proves or disproves a fact at trial, right? Well, he just got an attorney that just didn't obey that. And she just came and brought all kinds of crazy BS into the courtroom. And yeah, she lost, but they, they got their press releases out of it. It's just, it's just... I don't know if it's a realignment of everything we thought or... but. I, I, I don't know. I, I just, they managed to get away with yeah. it. Can we go back to the Supreme Court hearing the oral sure. arguments uh, that be coming on Thursday on Trump's Colorado ballot eligibility case and how Section 3 mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. 14th Amendment applies to insurrectionists? What's your opinion on mm-hmm. that case? And how do you think that the Supreme Court will rule? I think I think they figure out a way to keep him on the ballot without weighing the question of whether he's an insurrectionist or not. And here's why courts like number one, they don't have to touch the insurrectionist question um, because there's there's sort of legal questions and factual questions as a matter of law. Is the president, quote unquote, an officer of the United States? Now, you and I sitting here talking, say, of course, it's an office. That's dumb. Of course it is. Right. Um, But then there's a factual question, uh, which is a little more complicated, which is, did Donald Trump engage in insurrection? Courts, nine times out of 10, will avoid the factual question and just try to to do the legal one, which is, should he be on the ballot or not? And I think... I really think they avoid the insurrectionist question. Now, maybe you get a judge in a dissent who says, no, I think this this dude actually engaged in some in some insurrection adjacent behavior. But I I think they try to stay away from it. Do you do you think that he should be on all the ballots? Do I think he should be on all the ballots Um, under the 14th Amendment? uh, I, I have a hard time seeing how you have a consistent definition for what an insurrectionist is based on where the, where the, uh, where the, what the sort of the, the mess the framers left us with. There's no way to figure out the question short of convicting someone of insurrection. And because of how ambiguous that question is, I, you know, I don't think you want to get into putting them on some ballots, but not others. Now, let me make another point, And this is a far more important one. Going back to 2015, everyone across the country had as much data that they needed about Donald Trump's fitness to serve as president of the United States, right? Folks had it in 2016, they had it in 2020, and they will have it again in 2024. Now, whether it takes sort of this nebulous determination of what's an insurrectionist or isn't, uh, 
you know, it's a question far above my pay grade. But I think people knew a long time ago what they were getting. And now this is all sort of manifesting itself and has over the last five or six years. But I don't think anybody should be really shocked. Any voter should be shocked at this point by what they've seen. You see, I don't think that people knew exactly what they were getting in 2015, Uh, 2016. Well, I'll tell you, let me see if I can't convince you on it. Tell me, tell me. So what, what, (laughs) you know, what the campaign was about is... A mega billionaire businessman that's not part of the system, that's going to buck the system in order to benefit you, the American people. Those four years showed something much, much more than the lie of Donald Trump being this incredible businessman that's going to make deals with all the different countries like China, North Korea, Russia, you know, uh, Turkey, etc., now, here's what, we, here's what you learned from his four years as being president, that he should have run as being Captain Chaos, that this is a guy who lives in turmoil 24-7, lies like a, like a fucking maniac, all right, only gives a shit about himself, doesn't care about the American people, wants to change our American democracy into an autocracy, wants to king himself, make himself the king, the monarch, the ruler, supreme leader, the Fuhrer, all right? That's something very different than what people knew about Donald Trump in 2015, 2016. Yeah, he was a TV show host. He's a funny guy. He's, you know, he's, he's bombastic, but nobody ever thought that he would do and say the crazy things that he's doing today. And now you have a much greater scope. You also know one additional thing, that he is as fucking incompetent as anyone that, if not more so than anyone that has ever served as president of the United States. Not one of his pledges that he made to the American people in 2015, 2016, did he actually deliver on. Okay. Uh, I still disagree for a number of reasons. One, government is not a business. People need to learn that government should work for the people, should work efficiently, should work well, but it is not a business with a goal of maximizing value for its shareholders above all else. Uh, And so having worked in government for 15 years, I'll be the first to tell you it could be smaller, it could be leaner, it could be more efficient, could work better for all of us, but it's not a business. And so the idea that you can just you know, come in, uh, whether he was a successful business executive or not, just run things like a business, number one. Number two, uh, folks knew who he was surrounded by, who he pledged to surround himself by. Folks knew about his indecorous personal behavior. Folks knew about the misconduct. And moreover, this idea of insurgents coming in and running for the presidency. You know, we tried that a few different times from Howard Dean to Wesley Clark to Fred Thompson to Bernie Sanders, all these folks um, for different reasons that didn't take hold and didn't take on. And these were all elected officials or military generals, not even um, of reality TV, sh- reality TV host. Look, I- America... We are who we are. I don't want to, you know, I'll let folks decide as to American exceptionalism, uh, whatever they want. But I will say that the notion of electing a reality uh, star president is the kind of stuff you see in Bolivia or uh, these countries that we would wag our fingers at. And it was an exercise that failed that we as a country 
um, let happen. And I still maintain everyone knew everything they needed to know about what they were getting way back in 2015. You had ample opportunities for, I don't remember who else, the prime, Marco Rubio or Jeb Bush or any of these people who might have been boring, but at least would have respected the fundamental enterprise they were running. Um, and I think in many respects, that was a failure on the part of the electorate. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that one. Um, we'll just agree to disagree on how much the American people actually knew, you know, Fair. as far as because, again, you know, it's, yeah. it, he's like, I'm not a politician. And that was his famous line. He's still trying to use that line that he's not a politician. Right. You were the president of the United States, you fucking moron. Right, what do you mean you weren't a politician? You held the greatest office in the history of the country. So, of humanity of, what, or in like global politics. Right. And you're not a politician. Yeah, okay, good for you. So let me ask you this because Justice Thomas has not recused yeah. himself in Trump's insurrection case. And that's all while his wife, Ginny, who was actively yeah. involved in the insurrection, and I still don't understand why she hasn't been charged yet. You know, last week I had on the show here uh, the MAGA granny, Pam Hempel, and so on. She was charged one, two, three. Why Ginny Thomas hasn't been charged? Again, I don't know the answer to. But if you would, talk about our two-tiered justice system. Why isn't Ginny yeah. Thomas being held to any ethical or criminal standards like everybody else has? Well, everybody else but Supreme Court justices and even lower court uh, sort of federal district court or federal court of appeals judges are held to a higher code of ethics than the United States Supreme Court is. The problem with the Supreme Court as this co-equal, if you want to use the term branch of government, they set their own rules and they decide when they recuse from cases, they decide whether there's an ethics investigation or anything else. And they not unlike almost like the British royal family, uh, as mm -hmm. we're seeing now with some of the, the very sad uh, health issues facing King Charles, they decide who, you know, what information comes out, they decide how they're policed and so on, and just leave us to do our business and thank you, we'll be just fine. And the Supreme Court's kind of like that a little bit. It's this um, almost shadowy, for lack of a better term, entity that, that, you know, you, that isn't really transparent about its rules. I don't think someone asked me just yesterday, does Clarence Thomas recuse himself? And, and I don't think he does because you can't make him. You simply cannot obligate until Congress steps in and puts a toothier ethical set of rules on the Supreme Court. Nothing can make a Supreme Court justice step out of a case barring an explicit, I mean, like really explicit financial conflict. Like if Google or something had a case and, uh, you know, Justice Sotomayor were a major shareholder of Google and on the board and the CEO, then yeah, it's a financial conflict and she can't hear the case. But other than that, but I'm not even not sure that Congress can actually pass those ethical rules that they have to abide by. I think it has to be it has to be um, written and approved. Well, who, who writes it doesn't matter, but it well, has to no, be accepted I mean, the, well, and approved just, by uh, the by the judiciary, by the Supreme Court. I don't think that one branch is going to be able to tell the other because then the Supreme Court could say, well, you know, we're going to write the rules for Congress. They could say it's unconstitutional. Well, um, you know, that's that's an excellent constitutional crisis question. I mean, Congress sets all sorts of parameters. They set the federal rules of evidence and criminal procedure that govern in court. Um, they set the sentencing rules that govern in court. And, and I don't see what would preclude Congress from setting 
ethical standards or a code of ethics for the Supreme Court, or even, or at a minimum, working with, you know, working collaboratively with the Supreme Court to craft ethical standards. Um, Congress has the ability to pass all kinds of legislation regulating the other branches of government. Now, maybe the Supreme Court could then say, well, that's unconstitutional and strike down the law that Congress passed regulating the Supreme Court. But I still don't, I still think they could do it if they, if they, if they really wanted wanted to. I mean, I don't say if they really wanted to, they wouldn't have already done it, right? That's a big, that's a big issue. So let's just jump around for a second and talk about Judge Ngoron. Judge Ngoron, and to those who remember, that's the New York Attorney General case, the one that's going after Trump for the civil fraud. He's held up his ruling. We were supposed to get that ruling by the end of January. He held up his ruling on this business fraud trial because new information came out about the Trump org's uh, CFO, Alan Weisselberg, who testified Mm -hmm. on Trump's behalf in that case, is now negotiating a plea deal for perjury with Alvin Bragg and the Manhattan DA's office to avoid new criminal Mm -hmm. charges. How do you think that this new information will ultimately affect Judge Ngoron's final order? I don't think so. Um, barring, barring some finding that evidence that that was provided to him was also tainted. You know, it's hard to know what's taking the time it does. However, with the caveat that we... Um, we live in a 24-hour news cycle world and expect things to happen when we want them to happen. And it can actually take days or weeks or even months sometimes to write judicial opinions. And maybe he's trying to make sure he gets the right opinion. I'm not sure what, uh, to the extent there's a holdup, what it is and w- what he's working on right now. But I don't think that any of this business um, changes uh, you know, changes what the judge I mean, does. I don't think it changes the result, but I do think it changes the way that he issues the opinion. You see... Weisselberg made certain statements about whether it was the size of the unit or how the statement of financial condition was done and created. And all of that was a lie. What I also find it. Right. So let me just stick with that first. Uh, That was all a lie. That means that if part of the testimony that is given by Weisselberg on behalf of Trump and the Trump org is tainted, all of his testimony is tainted. I forget the Latin phrase for that. Uh, but if if one if part is is tainted, all is tainted. My point being, right. he was actually the Trump Oregon Donald's key witness in that case. So yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it changes the ultimate result. I just think it changes yeah. the way that Ngoron was going to write his Has decision. Yeah, because you can't rely on it in the same way. And, and I think, you know, there's another Latin phrase that and I don't I don't remember this one either. It's been a while since law school. Um, but, you know, you excise the the offending evidence uh, and rely on other stuff. So we'll see. Yeah. You know, and another thing, too. Remember, Alan Weisselberg did 100 days in Rikers Island. Right. Part of that incredible yep. fucking plea deal. I mean, I can, this is a guy who put the system through the ringer, lied continuously, sh- did, delayed, delayed, the whole bit. He gets 100 days. 100 days. But part of that plea deal was that he tells the truth. I wonder what's going to happen now. 
as it relates to Alan Weisselberg and potentially, because perjury in New York carries, I believe, up to seven years of imprisonment. So I would really love to find out what um, what they're going to, what, especially what the DA's office is, you know, is striking, what kind of a deal that they're striking, because this guy should not be given any breaks whatsoever. He was the frick to the frack in the entire organism, you know, in, to the entire scheme. Yeah. Well, and moreover, it's not it's not a cooperation agreement. Uh, they're not the prosecutors aren't seeking Weisselberg's testimony here. So it's not clear what they're getting out of it. It's not clear how much they're throwing the books at him here. I don't know where this one goes. I really don't. You know, what's crazy, too, is this is not the first time that Alan Weisselberg lied to the court. Something you may not remember, CNN uh, actually, and so did many other, um, you know, uh, news outlets. In 2021, New York federal prosecutors, I'm talking about the Southern District of New York, when they were going after me, came to suspect that Trump Organization's chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, lied in testimony during their investigation of former Trump personal attorney Michael Cohen three years ago. That's, this is dated back to August of 2021. According to four people familiar with the prosecutor's thinking, despite their suspicions, mm. federal prosecutors did not pursue perjury charges against Weisselberg. But his past interactions with them could now become relevant to the Manhattan DA's office as it seeks his cooperation in a tax fraud case brought against Weisselberg and the company last month. This is not the first time. In fact, I'll tell you what more the Southern District did. They knew he was lying. They still used him and the lies when they went before the grand jury, I hate the whole grand jury system, by the way, where it's a secretive proceeding and you can't defend yourself. You don't even know that it's going on. They knew he lied. They put his fucking ass in front of the grand jury. He continued to lie and they gave him limited immunity. There's a problem with that. And Donald Trump takes advantage of shit like this. In order to, as you said, it, he yeah. takes the piece of sand and he creates the whole beach out of it. Creates a and I think if people are inclined to believe the illegitimacy of the whole system and the whole process and the fact that it's stacked against the president and all that, then they'll pounce on things like that. Um, when in reality, it is incredibly common for witnesses, particularly cooperating witnesses, to give inconsistent or even dishonest testimony. And when it, you know, when that happens, you have a process for dealing with it. You either punish the guy or take his testimony, excise the portions of it. That, but that not are, in this case, Elliot, not in this case. They used yeah. it. They knew he was lying. Guys like Nicholas Roos yeah. and Tom McKay and Andrea Griswold, they knew he was lying. They didn't care. And they went ahead. They put the lies in front of a grand jury. It's yeah. a problem. No, it's it's a good. problem with the system. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not going to fight with yeah. you on that. Well, no, there's no, nothing really to fight. The facts are the facts. And, you know, <laughs> I believe that they should throw the book at Alan Weisselberg. I really do. And I think that uh -huh. it's about time that he starts to properly cooperate instead of cooperating with lies and allowing prosecutors to use those lies. I, I just don't get it.
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for the purposes of sentence, I mean, this may make your head explode, but they'll consider his age, they'll consider his role, they'll consider his criminal history in deciding whether to send him away for seven years. Look, spoiler alert, he's not going to jail for seven years. I agree. Years. That's just not how criminal sentencing works. But, um, you know, they'll factor in all those things in deciding how much to punish him. Uh but, uh, you know, look, it's, it's not it's not going to be seven years. I'll say yeah, that. I agree with you on that. So, look, let's then jump over to Fulton County, where Fulton County DA Fannie Willis admitted last week to having a relationship with someone on her team. And, and you know, for such a That's smart cute. woman with such a big, important case, really? That's all that I say. All you've yeah, done is it. give Donald and his team an opportunity within which to taint the reality of what was going on there. Because now Republicans, and of course Trump and others, want her removed, and they want her RICO case completely dissolved. You think that they'll have yeah. any luck in shutting her down or shutting this whole case down? I don't. I, I don't think so. I think, now look, this whole episode of The Real Housewives of Fulton County uh, is... <laughs> right. uh, is less than ideal, but I don't know if it taints the case because I think you have a few, the prosecutor's office has a few different avenues for getting out of it. I think, number one, Nathan Wade, the man she had the affair with, could probably just be removed from the case. Number two, if it got really bad, if the judge were to find that she needed to be off it, you could remove her and have someone else sure. in the office potentially take it over. Sometimes you have a third party, like maybe the prosecutor from, I'm making this up, Cobb County, Georgia, up the road, comes in and runs it. Or, you know, the judge slaps them on the wrist and says, this was a permissible, legally permissible relationship. It's okay. You're allowed to have it, but it just looks bad for your office. And you, prosecutor, it's up to you you know, deal with the case, but you're going to have to explain to the jury when the attorneys for the defense are going to be hammering you in front of the jury, probably. Yep. Maybe you can get this in front of the jury about how, you know, the misconduct of the prosecutors. But um, yeah, more than anything else, and, and I say this having been a prosecutor for and in government for a long time, you're only as good as the faith the public has in the work you're right. doing. And it just, it's it's embarrassing and maybe even shameful Um even if the relationship itself were within the eyes of the law, still perfectly permissible. Yeah, agree. Which I don't know. I, I get, and I, and I just don't know enough about Georgia sex law, so right. I don't know what you can get away with uh, legally in the state. What's legal, illegal, or barely legal? I'm just not sure. Also, what's Georgia. the relevance of the fact that she had the yeah. affair? You know, or I shouldn't call affair. She has a relationship. Yeah, I mean, you, what's the what's the well, relevance to to the RICO charge here? Yeah, no, nothing to the RICO charge. I mean, I think you know there becomes an ethics question if, depending on the amount he's paid, uh, okay. the six hundred thousand dollars or so. They're, they're now the question is, and I also think the coverage of it's been a little bit hysterical because I do wonder if six hundred thousand dollars to one guy, or was it six hundred thousand dollars to the firm? Was it salary and services, and you know, photocopying can cost tens of thousands. Who knows? So somebody's got to sort that all out. Um, but that's the biggest issue. Do you have an ethical issue with the payment mm -hmm. uh, from a prosecutor? So then let me jump to another case. Judge Cannon in Florida has absolutely slow walked the Trump documents case. And now, now we find out that there's a secret room and a locked closet at Mar-a-Lardo that the FBI missed during their raid. What's your take on that case? Uh, my take has long been that that, that that case was going to take a while to get 
to, to try. It just was. And when you're dealing with classified documents, they, they it, legally, they are very challenging and complicated. Now, I think the, the prosecutors were in a tough spot there because the best charge they had and have remains obstruction of justice. The con- the obstructive conduct by Trump and the folks around him was the most uh, allegedly the most egregious. The document possession cases are just harder to understand, harder for people to get mm-hmm. their heads around. But it would have been weird to charge just obstruction without also charging an additional crime. So it was a tough case to charge. And I see why they did it the way they did. But they may have just been better off charging obstruction. Um, but again, this that case would have been really hard to bring to trial um, so when was it? It was last yeah. August was the search. Yeah. Um, it would have been really hard to get to, uh, to trial by Election Day 2024. Now, there are any number of commentators who said they could have. So then let me that. ask you, why doesn't don't. Jack Smith then move to have uh, Judge Cannon removed? Well, on what basis? On, you, you don't really have a good basis for removing a federal judge just because you don't like her. She hasn't done anything unethical or unsound. It's just she's just taking her time. And judges often, federal okay. judges in particular, often take their time on cases on the counter pick. But you just don't, barring some, you know, uh, Judge Cannon having an affair with somebody uh, or something like that, you don't really have an ethical right. or legal basis for getting a judge off a case. You just don't. Okay. I Listen, I totally agree with you. I, I don't like yeah, her no. decisions, but I was never able to figure out, you know, what she did that would, you know, warrant recusal the way I'm listening to some, you know, commentators Nothing. talk about it. You know, look, that's the problem, too, with the divisiveness that's going on in this country. Just because you don't like what I'm saying doesn't mean that I should be removed or you don't like the fact that Judge Cannon is slow walking this case. She is absolutely MAGA. She is totally pro-Trump, right? I mean, it's it's not news to anybody, I hope, but slow walking your case. Look, I'm still waiting for a judge to make a decision on something that should have been done in 24 hours. You know, we're already now five weeks into it. I don't don't get it, but they certainly have that judicial privilege. Yeah. uh, You know, people even tried to make the argument way back in the day uh, when the case was coming up that she should be removed because she got overturned and had a bad success rate. No, come on. That's bullshit. It's... Judges get reversed all the she time. She shouldn't for be in the reasons. position. I mean, that's that's the difference. But well, she, yeah. you know, kissed enough, uh, you know, Republican ass in order to get herself uh, elected as a federal. Well, I, again, though, I'm, I'm just I'm, that's what I'm just not going to bite on. We, uh, I, I, I think, she, I don't um, think she's I, competent. But then again, that's just my opinion. Well, but this, but look, the rules are the rules for how you get appointed to be a federal mm-hmm. judge in this country. Um, you know, it's it's a system that rewards patronage. Yep. She's no justice learned hand, I can tell you that. Or Justice Benjamin Cardoza. <laughs> but, but just but just rewards proximity to the yep. president and the and the political party That's in power. Right. That's the system we allowed to fester for a long time and we have to yeah. live with it. So yeah. let me switch gears one yeah. last time. There's sure. been another shakeup at CNN. And I'm not sure that that affects you as a legal analyst. Does not. But what, in your opinion, is going on over there? Look, I knew Jeff Zucker. I knew Jeff Zucker for many years, and I thought he was, personally, I thought he was fantastic at what he did. I remember when he left, uh, there was a massive, you know, uh, massive instability over there. They're trying to go middle of the road, or at least they were trying to go middle of the road for at least a brief moment. But is there any such thing as middle of the road in journalism anymore? 
It, to me, it seems like everything is either left or right. I don't, the last time I saw something which was middle of the road was in Al Jazeera. Well, it depends how you define middle of the road, right? And I think the complicated thing about covering a president or a political figure who belongs to a political party, but is accused of engaging in some really egregious uh, uh, cross-partisan or transpartisan misconduct is that it, it, you know, people see it as partisan criticism. I've been very careful and very deliberate uh, in my speaking about his cases and not making it about Democrats versus Republicans, but conduct versus misconduct. And you look at it and you look at the things that the former president is alleged to have done. And I, I, I believe, and again, I say this as someone, I'm an Eagle Scout man. I've been following America, loving America since I was a kid. But, but you know, a lot of this conduct, if true, and we saw it all play out on television. We watched the videos. We, we were there on January 6th. I lit, you know, just a mile from my house. Um, it's, it, it's un-American behavior, not Republican or Democratic behavior. And I just think our world, which tends to reduce things to right and left Democrat and Republican, uh, really makes it easy to, to have everything appear to be, be partisan. And I really do believe, uh, it, it's just not, it's about right and wrong, not, not Democrat, Republican. Yeah, look, I totally agree with you. So look, um, the hour comes by real fast on mea culpa. I have one last question for you because one of the issues that I constantly hear on all of the, on all of the stations is that Joe Biden is losing uh, favor amongst black men, amongst Muslims, amongst Hispanics, and so on. And I don't fully understand where that information is coming from. Whether you like Joe Biden, whether you have an issue with his age, forgetting Donald's only two and a half years younger, right? Whether you have, you know, whatever your issues with Joe Biden may be. As Joe Biden even said, don't look at me as me. Look at me and compared to the alternative, meaning Donald Trump. Under Joe Biden, under, under Biden, the economy is roaring right now. People could say whatever they want. If Donald Trump was in office right now with the stock market at the height that it's at, he'd be taking full and total credit. In fact, he tried to take full and total credit by saying the only reason the stock market's doing well is because he's leading in the polls and everybody knows he's going to be the next president. I mean, talk about a narcissist, right? But when it comes to, let's just say, black men and women. First of all, I don't understand how any woman could possibly want to vote for him, especially after he's taking credit for the overturning of Roe versus Wade. But as it relates to the black community, Donald Trump's own words, his own words was he could have resolved the civil war in 24 hours if he was president at the time. The only way that you could have done that is North stays free, South remains, um, remains slavery. How could any person of color vote for him? Just in, before you fin answer, before yeah. you answer that, let me just use the same analogy as it relates to Muslims. The first thing that Donald Trump did when he got to office was to enact a Muslim ban. He tried to call it a immigration ban, but it was a Muslim ban. And Donald Trump himself said he wants to ban Islam from the country. Told it to me wants to ban Islam from the country. Yeah. I said to him, you can't ban a religion from a country, especially not a democracy. 
Now, as it relates to Hispanics, the first thing he wants to do if he gets back in office, he wants to do a massive roundup of immigrants, particularly migrants, right? But immigrants, Hispanics, San Salvadorians, etc. And he wants to deport them all out of the country. Why would anybody in any of these three groups want to vote for this crazy man? So I would say a couple things. And, and you know, I, I don't really do political analysis. So this is just me as a citizen uh, sort of voter in the country. And I think just looking at it, I, I don't get the sense that anybody who or many people who didn't vote for Trump last time switched their votes to vote for Trump. Now I think, well, you know, this this Trump fellow seems to be saying some novel, interesting things. and I'm going to change my vote. It's really a question of who stays home and, and what kind of excitement um, any voters, particularly black or brown voters, tend to have. Now, certainly uh, the situation in the Middle East, black voters, uh, some of the luster uh, from Biden has, has come off, I, I believe, uh, on account of the Middle East. Um, right, because so the Middle East affects it. your day to day living, right? I know, yeah. I know. But still, I just, this is what, you know. Um, but the other thing I would say is that, and more to the point, I think 2024 Trump is still untested. And this is my, just gets back to something we talked about a little bit earlier in the program, which is that, you know, folks knew what they got in 2016 and 2020. But right now, those are still ideas and not a man running for president. But, you know, Trump hasn't debated another candidate, hasn't debated Biden, hasn't really faced negative campaigning, hasn't faced commercials, any of that other business. And I don't know if people really have confronted yet the reality of what Trump versus Biden would look like um, in a way that, you know, it's an idea. It's still like, oh, yeah, we're going to have a rematch of these two guys yelling at each other. And I, and I don't know if the Biden folks have even started making, trying to make the case yet against, no, this man, not me, Joe Biden running, but Donald Trump is, is, is your alternative. And I think over time, you know, maybe some of those numbers shift, but, um, you know, I, I, this, the idea of navel gazing a year before an election is nothing new. And I think uh, we, this happens every four years and we'll have to see where, where it goes six months yeah, from now. I totally agree. Elliot Williams, thank you. Thank you so much, my friend, for joining me. Hope to see you again very, very soon because nothing, very soon. I can be honest with you, nothing, nothing's going to get easier over the course of the next 10 months. Nothing's going to get easier. Oh, <laughs> nothing's going to get easier. Thank you, my friend. And All I'll right, be seeing sir. you soon in the green room. And now for today's mea culpa. Matt Gates and the harpy flying around Washington trying to get Trump's attention and more importantly, become his VP pick, Elise Stefanik. I mean, these two set about legislating that Donald Trump is not an insurrectionist. I mean, if I weren't so on brand for Republicans, I'd say it was a fucking joke, but it's not. They are putting together a bill in the House that will claim once and for all that Donald J. Trump is not an insurrectionist, and that will put an end to it. No one will ever raise the question again. Trump will just get to drop insurrectionists from his long list of corrupt achievements. Right? Well, that's what they wish. No matter how the House votes, Trump is an insurrectionist. Let's just all fucking acknowledge it. And that will never change. No matter how the Supreme Court votes, Trump will still be an insurrectionist. Plain, period, finished. That fact will never, ever change. I read a tweet today that said, and I quote, 
Trump not an insurrectionist. Ha 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 ha. Might as well legislate that Melania is not an immigrant, that Matt Gates is not a pedophile, that Marjorie Toilet Green is not unintelligent, and that Bobert is not a fucking bimbo. And that about sums it up. I'm sure that people in jail for storming the Capitol consider Trump an insurrectionist because they did it for him at his behest. And since then, those poor fucking suckers have been and have been prosecuted and imprisoned. On August 1st of 2023, in Washington, D.C., former President Trump was charged in a four-count indictment as a result of his actions challenging the election results and interfering with the peaceful transfer of power from one president to the next. In other words, he plotted a coup that led to the insurrection. Now, Trump, of course, moved to dismiss the indictment and the district court, well, they did what's expected. They denied his motion. He claimed presidential immunity, but the judge in that case, Tanya Chutkin, denied that claim too. And he again appealed. And after a long month of waiting, the appellate court gave us a ruling and affirmed Judge Chutkin's denial. And I quote, for the purpose of this criminal case, former President Trump has become citizen Trump with all of the defenses of any other criminal defendant. But any executive immunity that may have protected him while he served as president no longer protects him from this prosecution. He's just a man, not a god, not a TV star, not even a president anymore. And bit by bit, I believe the rule of law and our court system will save us from the likes of him and all who follow in his footsteps. But many are angry and scared that he won't face consequences and that he'll evade justice. I mean, let's be serious about this. He has so far. I mean, people say, if it was you or me, we'd already be in jail. And let's not forget, it was me and I was in prison. I mean, don't I know it? But Trump isn't like you and me. He never was. He is a special kind of sickness. He runs on avarice and greed. His superpower is that he has zero empathy for anyone. He doesn't give a shit about anyone or anything. And least of all, the January Sixers who went to jail for him. I mean, let me be serious about this. He hates them with a passion. You think he'd go to dinner with them or share a tiny cell with any of them? Hell no. They are his base and they will vote for him, but they will never understand that they have been used and abused by the man that they love more than their own freedom. I pray every single day that these folks just wake the fuck up and that the whole world will one day call Trump what he is. An insurrectionist, a lying, traitorous cancer on our society. Now I can go on, but why? We all know. I mean, good thing we have Joe Biden to fight for, especially as we fight against Trump, as we fight for America and everything that he stands for. And as always, my friends, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is written by Paula Killen. Our managing producer and editor is Lisa Orkin. Mea Culpa is a Midas Touch podcast, executive produced by the Midas Touch Network and LSJ Media Group. 